Our scripture reading this morning comes from James 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in the Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you're with us today in person or, or online, and I hope that you're blessed today by God's word and, and worship. When one little league team is destroying another team, and they're up by 12 or 15 or 20 runs, and the, the run rule hasn't kicked into effect yet, when the, the winning coach decide, tells his players, don't bunt, don't steal bases, don't throw curveballs, and he changes things around, makes substitutions, so players are playing out of position. That's called mercy. When a student forgets her homework and um, the teacher tells her, you can turn it in tomorrow without the normal deduction in your grade, that's mercy. When you're running late for an appointment or work or something and, and you run through a pink light, okay, let's face it, it was a red light, and you're caught red-handed and the police officer pulls you over, and he lets you off with a warning. That's called mercy. Mercy feels good to receive, doesn't it? We all like to receive mercy. We tend to think that we deserve mercy. But we also tend to not always want to give mercy to those around us. Now, mercy is where we're going to end up today, but it's going to take a little while to get there. We're going to work our way through these verses that were just read by Katie, and um, we're going to end up at mercy. And, and we're at the, in the, the third week of our sermon series from the book of James, and we are calling the sermon series Straight Talk. The idea is that James was a guy who was a straight shooter. He called it like it was. He's, he's, he said what he saw, and, um, and he's, he, he applies this to, to the idea of faith. The whole premise behind his book uh, of James is 
is if this is what real faith is. This is what real faith does. This is what real faith looks like in Jesus Christ. And so far we've seen that real faith is backed up by actions. They go hand in hand. We've seen that real faith uh, just, just demonstrates itself, reveals itself during times of suffering and trial through our attitudes and responses. We saw last week that real faith uh, is, reveals itself by not only hearing God's word and knowing his will, but, but by actually you know, doing it, the whole thing, not just bits and pieces. And this morning we're going to see that real faith, genuine faith, reveals itself by how we treat other people. Now that seems pretty obvious. Now there are three movements in this passage. In, in the first movement, James tells us that we are not to play favorites. We're not to show favoritism. The second movement tells us why doing this, why playing favorites is, is wrong. And then James in his third movement moves us to a, a better way, which is, which is mercy. And he gets right to it in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, what does he mean by favoritism? Well, favoritism means what? You play favorites. You show partiality to the people around you. you there's one person you favor over another. You favor this group of people over that group of people or, or whatever it might be. And apparently this was a this was a problem in the church at the time. In fact, James he, he presents sort of a hypothetical situation here in the first couple of verses and apparently wasn't so hypothetical because, well, these kind of things apparently were happening. Let's pick it up in this scenario that he presents to us in verses 2, 3, and 4. And he says, there's two men, you're having, they're having church uh, on Sunday morning, uh, house church maybe, and two guys walk up. And one of these guys, he's obviously a rich man. He's got rings on his finger. Now, we all wear rings, but, but back then, if you wore a ring, it, it was a sign of wealth. Uh, and, if he had, and it says here that he had many rings, so he's a really wealthy guy. In, in Rome in that time, if you wanted to impress somebody, there were actually stores you could go to. You could rent a ring for a day, kind of a rent a ring. You know, if you wanted to impress somebody, you had a meeting with a, a prospective client or or you had a meeting with a, with, a, with a beautiful woman you wanted to date, or vice versa, well, you, you might rent a ring to impress them. Um, sort of like, you know, you see the award shows in Hollywood. Uh, they'll, they'll rent these fancy necklaces and jewelry and dresses that sometimes are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But this guy in James' scenario, he didn't have just one ring. He had a fistful of rings. And in fact, the word in the original language literally means gold-fingered, which makes me think of you know, the, the old James Bond movie. And he's wearing fine clothes, it says. He was dressed to kill, dressed to impress. But at the same time, when this guy walks into the worship, another guy shows up, and his clothes are so stained and soiled that you can't even tell what the original color was. Let's put it in today's context. Let's say you go to a church, and a Rolls Royce, Royce rolls up. And the door opens and a driver, a chauffeur, gets out. He opens the door and a guy gets out. He's wearing a Brooks Brothers suit. He's got a Rolex watch. He's got designer shoes, designer glass, sunglasses, and he walks up to the front door. At the same time, there's a, there's a homeless guy. He, he comes up and he's pushed in a shopping cart. And it's filled with plastic bags. We don't want to know what's in those plastic bags, but there's something in there. And he's wearing you know, two or three or four layers of clothes. And they obviously, by the smell, have not been washed for quite some time. 
And both of them enter the lobby at the same time. Now, imagine that the, the, the ushering or greeting team at this church, they, they trip all over themselves to, to help out the rich guy. And the homeless guy is, is just ignored. And the people run up to him with, hey, here's a cup of coffee, sir. Do you have any questions? Here are some brochures. Uh, let, me, let me usher you. Would you. Do you want to be up front? Do you want to be on the side? Where would you like to sit? They, they give him the whole works. And the people who collect the offerings are watching this guy thinking, boy, I hope he, I hope he drops something big in the plate today. And the homeless guy is still standing there by himself. And, and so he walks up to an usher and, and, they, and the guy says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a seat. And he takes him to the far corner off the side, you know, where he, you know, he won't, you know, disturb people or be a distraction. And, and, and James lays out this sort of scenario. And then he hits us with this zinger. He says, when you do this sort of thing, Verse 4, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, I'm pretty sure something this blatant and obvious wouldn't happen in our church. We're not perfect. We try to get it right. We don't get it right all the time. But, but this sort of blatant, outright discrimination, I, I sure hope not. But suppose, for instance, suppose that this morning a, a sports car, car, car rolled up and and out steps Patrick Mahomes, you know. He's got on a Super Bowl ring, and he's all dressed out, uh, dressed up real well. He's, you know, and, and you know, or, or maybe uh, and he's, got, he's got Big Red with him, the coach, Andy Reid's with him as well. Or if that doesn't work for you, maybe you're a Broncos fan. Uh, say maybe Bill Snyder walks in or Bill Self. Um, would we treat them like everybody else? Or would they get special attention because of, you know, who they are? Let's let's throw it into, say, the other end of the building, uh, youth Sunday school and um, all state stud athlete walks in or the homecoming queen that everybody likes and everyone wants to be friends with. They walk into fellowship hall. Are they going to be treated the same as everybody else, even the maybe quiet science nerd who's got an active problem and doesn't have friends? Whenever we treat people better or worse than others based on some sort of external criteria, Criterion like wealth or class or race or school or status or power or appearance or behavior. We're guilty of, of playing favorites, of favoritism. And whenever we make judgments about who's more important to God based upon our criteria that we come up with for some reason, we have become, as James says, judges with evil motives. And James says that's, that's, that's wrong. Now we might think, well, this is kind of the way of the world. I mean, this is kind of how you do things. You kind of grease the skid. You kind of, you know, this is how you move up and, and make a difference. This is kind of what you have to do. But, but let's, let's take a look now at the early church. What, why was this a problem for them? Remember, uh, believers were, they were new. This was a new faith, a new religion, kind of a new way of, of, of following God. And, and they were scattered all over the Roman Empire, and they were a minority. Uh, they were persecuted. Um, if they got any press, it was usually bad press. Um, they were at a disadvantage socially and economically. And so life was pretty difficult for them. And so you can imagine if, you know, if a, a connected person walked in, a successful person, somebody with some means walked in into a worship service or one of these house churches, uh, who could blame them if they thought, well, if we can just get this guy, get this gal converted to follow Jesus, I mean, that could really help us, 
really help us in kind of moving ahead and raising our profile and making a difference and, you know, and be, be kind of nice. I mean, I mean, that's how the world works, right? And, and we'd like to think that we wouldn't be driven by those sorts of motives. But don't we like to be associated with certain types of people? Don't we, people who make us look better or more attractive, more successful, more powerful, more connected? And don't we typically tend to put people into categories? Um, they're successful, they're not, they're winners, they're you know, losers, they're failures, they're important, they're unimportant, they're desirable, they're undesirable, so on and so forth. When we, when we do this, aren't we doing exactly what James tells us not to do? In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi describes an experience that he had as a university student. He was exploring the Gospels, and he was thinking about the person of Christ and considering Christianity. And he began to think that the teachings of Jesus, they might have the answer to the caste system in India that exists to this day that was causing so many divisions. And so he decided one Sunday that he would visit the local church and afterwards talk to the pastor about his questions about the faith and maybe even think about becoming a Christian. But when he got to the sanctuary, he was met by an usher who wouldn't let him in. Maybe it would be better for you to worship with your own people. And, and Gandhi left the church and he never returned. He wrote, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. And so he did. Now that usher obviously had no idea who Gandhi would become someday. And we never, we have no idea who the people we meet in church or on the streets at work or in school, who they're going to become someday. I mean, how foolish and how wrong to make a judgment on a person based upon their dress, their appearance, their race, their behavior, their religious background. James says, plain favorites is inconsistent with faith in Jesus Christ. He says, genuine faith does not do this. And we think, well, yeah, I, it's not ideal, but it's not like, you know, murder you know, or stealing or cheating on your spouse. Or, I mean, it's, come on, it's not the same thing. I mean, why is this such a big deal? Well, James tells us, he says, you know, the, the favoritism, when we play favorites, we miss God's heart. When we, when we play favorites, we forget that God loves all people, no matter who they are, what they are, what they can do for us, and where they're from. Deuteronomy 10.17 says this, For the Lord your God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't mean he doesn't respect people as individuals. It means he's not impressed, doesn't care about who we are, if we're poor or rich or successful or not or, or whatever. Every person matters to God, and so much so that when a person is being marginalized or overlooked or ignored or hurt in some way, God's heart goes out to that person. You see this over and over through the pages of Scripture. And James reminds us of this in verse 5. Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Jesus said much the same. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are 
the meek. Blessed are those who mourn and are hurting. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It's not that God loves them more than he loves anybody else. It's that his heart goes out to them because they are at such a disadvantage. Socially, materially, and otherwise. And when we forget that and we play favorites, we miss God's heart for all people. I mean, think about Jesus himself. The Son of God comes in the world by the world's standards. He was a nobody. He was kind of a loser. Born out of wedlock. Spent the first two years of his life as a refugee in another country on the run. He grew into a young man and he became a, a small town carpenter. Nothing wrong with that, but you know, he, didn't, he wasn't really going places. He probably did odd jobs here and there to help out his family and to make ends meet. At the age of 30, he begins to make a splash finally, begins to draw crowds as he speaks and does miracles, and people begin to be drawn to him. And just as he's really making something of himself, it ends in a humiliating failure. He gets crucified, and his best friends run away from him and, and deny knowing him. Isaiah 53 says of Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected like one from whom people hide their faces. We esteemed him not. How can we who place faith in this Jesus, this, this lowly Jesus by earthly standards, how can we place our faith in him and then show favoritism, play favorites, to the prosperous and the powerful and the pretty and the popular. When we do that, we miss God's heart for all people. Another part of the problem with favoritism is that it doesn't, it's not a part of God's strategy. It doesn't serve God's purposes. Remember that James is addressing Christ followers who are, at a, who are disadvantaged socially and economically, and they're trying to curry favor with those who are better off. Seems like a decent strategy, but it's not working. James says in verse 6, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones slandering the noble name of him to whom you, you belong? Again, it's not that God loves them any less. It's not that he doesn't you know, use our leverage, our gifts and abilities and resources when we come to him in faith. God loves all people. It's just that God knows that typically the hurting and the lonely and the sad and the discouraged and the wounded and the needy and the poor, and the lost, they're the ones who are most ready often to receive the good news of love and forgiveness and grace. And that those are often the people who are most often overlooked. Again, go back to Jesus' life. Who did he surround himself with? Who did he associate himself with primarily? Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, drunkards, beggars. I mean, listen to what Paul says about God's strategy. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So when we play favorites, we not only miss God's heart, we're, we're not in sync with God's strategy. Take a look now at verse 
8 and 9. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, what's the royal law? Remember Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds, he says, all the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets hang upon these two commandments. I mean, do you like it when you're ignored or overlooked? Well, there's an obvious injustice or preference or bias against you. Say you're staying in line at the DMV for 45 minutes to get your, your license or something like that, or registration, and, and uh, somebody walks in and they clearly know the person at the desk and they just cut right to the front and nothing happens. We don't, we, don't, we don't like that, do we? And every time we show preference to somebody because they can give us something that we want, we show preference to them over somebody who can't give us something that's going to benefit us. We break the royal law of love. And every time we jump to a conclusion about a person's character based upon sort of some sort of external factor or criteria, we break the royal law of love. And every time we look down on our noses at somebody because of how they dress or speak or vote or behave, we break the royal law of love. Maybe think of it this way. What if tomorrow there's a report that came out that there or that, they, that the government had figured out there was a, a terrorist threat in a certain area where 6,000 Americans would die at the hand of a killer. What would we do? We would spare no expense. We'd spare no effort to ensure that they were saved and cared for. And yet we know that in Africa tomorrow, 6,000 people will die of HIV AIDS. Do we value the lives of Americans more than those of Africans? Does God love Africans with AIDS less than he loves Americans? Does God love believers more than he loves atheists? Does God love Christians more than he loves Muslims? God is no respecter of persons. But sometimes, sometimes we are. So James has kind of hit us right between the eyes in this typical fashion, but he doesn't leave us there, thankfully. Because now he brings us to mercy. Look at verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for that. If we have real, genuine faith, faith that truly understands what Jesus Christ has done for us, then we will show mercy to others, just as God has shown mercy to us. Not just a little bit of mercy, not more mercy than most people, but we show mercy to others just as much as God has shown mercy to us. That's what genuine faith does. And who are we that we should make judgments about somebody else's worth or significance or value simply because they don't look like us, they don't run in the same circles as us, and because 
being associated with them doesn't really benefit us. James says if we want to receive mercy, then we are to give mercy just as God gives to us. You see, judgment sees faults in others, but mercy sees need. Judgment turns people away. Mercy reaches out and brings them back. Judgment sees what is, but mercy sees what can be by God's grace. So James challenges us. He says, genuine faith shows itself by showing not favoritism, not doing the things of the world, not playing favorites. Real faith shows itself by showing mercy to others. As God has shown mercy to us. God is no respecter of persons. Neither should we be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the mercy you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made, Lord Jesus, so that we no longer are condemned, no longer stand judged and found wanting. Thank you for loving us despite our faults and our flaws and our failures. Lord, forgive us for the times that we play favorites and don't show love and mercy. Help us through the power of your Spirit to love all people as you love them. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.